Matthew chapter 5, one verse. One line, here it is, something for us to hold on to. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Not theirs might be the kingdom of heaven. Not theirs could be if they try hard enough. Theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Wow. Oh, guys, I got <laughs> Okay. Pull yourself together. Here we go. I got a photograph to show you, first of all. Let's start, let's start with this. What do you see in this, this image? Say what you see. Go on, let's hear it. Rubbish. Thank you very much. That's, that's what's there, right? Do, do you know what this is? This is a work of art, ladies and gents. And it's by two artists, Tim Noble and Sue Webster. And it is actually a collection of six months' worth of their rubbish, apart from the taxidermy uh, seagull. I, think, I don't think they killed a seagull for the benefit of this piece of art. It's very powerful, isn't it? Very moving. No? Okay, let me explain it to you, okay? There's more going on here than we realize. Let's have the second image. Oh, wow, that's clever. From the wide angle with a lamp shining through the rubbish, what do we see? We see, um, we see a self-portrait. Tim Noble on the, on the left, Sue Webster on the right. The trash. The piece is called um, Dirty White Trash. The trash has become a beautiful thing. And that image came to mind. I heard that illustration years ago. And, and it came to mind this week as I was reading the Beatitudes because that's really the way that the Lord interacts with the people that he's talking to. He's, you know, he's talking to people that, that society calls trash. And Jesus says, you're not trash. You're blessed. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who is he speaking to? Well, look at verse 1. He's speaking to his disciples. Who are they? Well, they're folk who have chosen to follow him. First of all, verse 18, fishermen. And then verse 24, the, the sick, the afflicted, the hurting, the oppressed, the demonically possessed, the epileptics, the paralytics. The, the point is, this isn't a, this isn't a, a 20 first century Western church congregation. I mean, we've, you know, we're, we're polite looking, aren't we? We're, we love to think of ourselves as smart, but this is not a neat congregation. This is a collection of people that Jesus is talking to that have nothing to offer, and they know it. These are the people that society looks at and, and laughs at. They, you know, you and I have spent our lives trying to be, or at least trying to impress the cool kids, right? if you're anything like me. These are not the cool kids. This is not the in crowd. These are the people who are a strain on the people around them and a drain to them also. They've been written off by the world. They have written off themselves. They're a mess. When they don't turn up, here's what happens, okay? It might well be that you have people like this in your life. It might be that, that you are somebody like this in, this, in your life. Uh, when, when, these, when these people don't turn up, people are relieved. That they don't, have to, they don't have to work as hard because these are the hard work people. And that outer condition, that poverty externally, is a picture of what it is internally. It's a picture of their spirituality. You see, they're not just society's outcasts. They believe they're God's outcasts. They believe they've got nothing to offer God. 
Now, it might be that they, it might be the case that it hasn't always been the case for them. It might be that, that there was a point in their life where they were quite impressed with themselves and they were quite impressed with what they had to offer God. It might be that they, at one point in their life, could draw up a, a, lo a long list of reasons why God should and would accept them, but not now. You see, now they look at their life and, and what do they see? They see sin and regret and brokenness and, and therefore, look at verse 4, they're the people who mourn. They mourn because when they look at the, themselves, they just see sin. Who are they? They are the poor in spirit. The poor in spirit. Anyone know what the Greek word for poor is? It's my newfound favorite Greek word. Okay, you got this? I'll apologize to the front row now. <laughs> Patochos. Isn't that cool? Patochos. What does this sound like to you? Sounds like the noise you make when you're fleming up in the morning, doesn't it? Sort of useful, actually, that. Because that's, I think, the way that people see themselves before God. That they're only worthy to be rejected, that they're only worthy to be removed, that they should be spat out. They're trash. That's the way that they see it. And according to the first century Jewish culture, they are the cursed ones. Well, not the way that Jesus sees it. What does Jesus say? You're not cursed, you are blessed. Why? End of the verse. Because for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I love that. First words of the most famous sermon in all of history. They're not a, it's not a call to action. It's not a command to do anything. It's not an incentive to keep it up. It is a word of reassurance. It is a promise of hope. It is a message of grace to those who have given up defending themselves and trying to prove themselves and trying to fake it anymore. This is grace to those who have come to the very end of themselves. Blessed, blessed are the, king, are, are the poor in spirit. Why? Because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven belongs to the poor in spirit. Now, what does it mean to receive the kingdom? What does it mean to be part of this kingdom? Well, it, it doesn't just mean to gain entry into a place, though that is true. Those who are part of the kingdom in this life will enter into God's eternal kingdom one day. It is an entry into a place, but it's more than that. Because it isn't just like a message that, you know, it isn't just a ticket that you get to show one day when you reach the pearly gates. It is an entrance into a kingdom and into a way of life and into a goodness of life now. And we enter into that good life not by taking on a set of mantras and commands and just starting to behave differently. We start to live out this good life by receiving the king of the kingdom into our lives. And as we receive the king into our lives, and as we allow him to, to move among the, the rooms of our heart and, and, and inspect our lives with us, he will conform us and transform us more and more into his subjects. Because Jesus, we're told in Matthew's gospel, is the Messiah, he is the king who has come on a, on a mission of redemption. He has come to fix what is ruined. 
We're told in verses um, 15 to 17 that he's come to, to bring light where there was once darkness. And then we're told and we're shown that he has come to heal the broken, to bring freedom to those who are oppressed. Here he is, the king who has come to take back everything that was lost at the fall. And where does he begin? He begins with the most ruined that he can see. He begins with the outcasts and the powerless and the poor and the ruined. That is who this king is. That is his kingdom. His kingdom isn't a place where the ruined aren't allowed to go. His kingdom exists for the ruined. He has come for the ruined. That's who he is. This is what Dane Ortland says. This is deeper than saying Jesus is loving or merciful or gracious. Amen, hallelujah. He's, he's loving, he's merciful, he's gracious. But this is more than that. The cumulative testimony of the four Gospels is that when Jesus Christ sees the fallenness of this world all about him, his deepest impulse, his most natural instinct is to move towards that sin and suffering, not away from it, because that is why he's come. He has come to breathe the free air of his kingdom into the darkness of this world. He's come to bring life and restoration. And so he moves to the most ruined he can find. And he is so moved by the poverty of spirit that he sees around him. He doesn't, he doesn't just move towards them. He doesn't just call them his disciples. He doesn't just spend time with them. But he interacts with them so much so that he starts to blend in with them. He starts to be mistaken for them. People aren't realizing that they're talking to the king of heaven and earth when they say, cursed is he, because he's so ingrained with them. He is so with them that he becomes treated, he gets treated like them. And eventually, he is rejected just as they should be. Let me read to you words from the end of Matthew's gospel. Listen to how Jesus, the King of glory, the one angels bow before, in Matthew 4, the one Satan can't stand against, the one the Father has looked at and called, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Listen to how he is mocked by his people. Listen to how he's ridiculed and rejected. 27 verse 28. And they stripped him. And they stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and twisting together a crown of thorns. They, they put it on his head and they put a reed in his right hand and kneeling before him, they, they mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews. And they spit on him and they took the reed and they struck him on the head and when they had mocked him, they stripped him of his robe and they and they put his own clothes on him and led him away to crucify him. And as he went out, they found a man of Cyrene, Simon by name, and they compelled this man to carry his cross. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means the place of the skull, they offered him wine to drink, mixed with gall, but when he tasted it, he wouldn't drink it. And when they had crucified him, they divided his garments among them by casting lots. And then they sat down, and then they sat down and watched. And then they sat down and kept watch over him there. 
And over his head, they put a charge against him, which read, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And, and those who passed by derided him, wagging their heads and saying, Oh, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, oh, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. So also the chief priests with the scribes and the elders, they mocked him saying, He saved others. He can't save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let him come down now from the cross and we will believe in him. He is so entwined with his people who are poor in spirit that he becomes treated like them. He walks where the poor in spirit walk. He dwells with the poor in spirit. He spends time with the poor in spirit. He dies like somebody poor in spirit. Are you poor in spirit this morning? Are you disappointed with yourself? Are you embarrassed? Are you ashamed? Are you ashamed because of what you've done and who you are? Jesus Christ, the King of the Kingdom, has come for you. For you. You and I have a place in his kingdom. It's not because we're worthy. We know that, don't we? It's because of the size of his mercy. Because the King has come to you and has willingly gone to a cross for you. It is the most wonderful, amazing, all of speech, right? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, we're going to apply this into the new year in a moment. But first, just a couple of comments on this, right? Just two very general comments, first of all. Number one, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That's true. But so is it true. So is the opposite true. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Well, the opposite's true as well. Woe to you who are rich in spirit. Why? Because the kingdom of heaven doesn't belong to you. That's unsettling, isn't it? What does it mean to be rich in spirit? Well, it, it means in the, in the New Testament, I mean, it's there, described for us in the story that, that, that Bear read for us earlier. It's, it's the, to be rich in spirit is to, to stand before God and have something to boast in. It's to be proud of yourself. It's, and as a result, you stand before God and you look around at the people around you and you look down on them, you can see reasons why you are superior to them. And, th and it is illustrated by the story of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Thank you, Bear. The tax collector is there, just beating his breast, beating his chest, saying, can't, he can't look up. He's just saying, have mercy on me, a sinner I don't deserve to be here. And the Pharisee is, I mean, he's there just praising himself. And what's most disturbing, he's there praying to himself before God. I mean, we're not going to spend too much time on this, but, it, but, but here's the point. If you can't think of a reason why God should accept you, you are poor in spirit. You are blessed. But if you can think of a list of reasons why God should accept you, that should concern you. Because blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus only fills empty hands. We have nothing, ladies and gentlemen. Secondly, okay, so blessed are the poor in spirit. So we all enter the kingdom poor in spirit. But here's another general observation. Uh, it is easy, unfortunately, it is easy to become upwardly mobile in spirit, I think, if I'm typical. So Revelation 3, right? Yeah. So Revelation 3 says, um, 
Jesus is talking to a church who started off poor in spirit and started off with joy and then fairly, within a few years, they become emotionally indifferent to the gospel that they heard. Why do they become, you know, neither hot nor cold, emotionally indifferent? Why? Jesus says, because, this is 3.17, for you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. You see, what started off as feeling their poverty in spirit, as their lives changed, as their circumstances changed, as they became, shall we do this, look up, mature Christians, they felt their need for Jesus less and less. And, and, and I think that, that might be familiar to some of us because it's very familiar to me. Let me tell you a story about my life, right? When I was first saved, I, I just, I mean, I, I just couldn't wait for Sunday because Sunday was a lifeline, because I needed Jesus. I was in absolutely no doubt about that. I was desperate to hear about him. I didn't need convincing that I needed Jesus, because from every angle on my life, and as everybody else could see, some of you were there, like I was a sinner. It was obvious. I mean, you, could see, you heard it in my language. You, you saw it in the way I interacted with others, especially women. In the, way that I, um, in the way that I spent my money, in the way that my life was just so, so classically and so obviously all about me. I mean, it was nauseating. And when I came to realize that, and it felt like it, for a while I couldn't, I couldn't escape that. I mean, Sunday just couldn't come, couldn't, couldn't come around fast enough. I needed him. I needed a savior. And every week I would go to church feeling my poverty of spirit. And every week I would be told the kingdom of heaven belongs to you, Lou. And it's, honestly, it is a rope to a drowning man, right? Lou, I know you feel like you should go to hell. You're not going to hell. Jesus died. It's the best news. There's a place for me in God's kingdom. Me? Wow. Let me tell you what's happened. Just gradually, incrementally over the last 20 years. Outwardly, I look a little bit more like a Christian than I did then. I'm not saying I behave more like one, but I, but I look like one. I scrub up a bit better. My life has changed, and at least outwardly, I look a little bit more like a believer. And when that happens, it is so tempting to start believing the lie that I have suddenly, I've become middle class in spirit, that I've, that I've earned something, that I've, that I've progressed, that I've, look at me, I've done something worth achieving. I've I've achieved something. I've pulled myself up by my bootstraps. And what happens to my joy when I start thinking that I've pulled myself up by my spiritual bootstraps? I'm not I'm singing and, and praising God and doing all the outward things, but internally I'm not desperate anymore because I'm not desperate anymore because actually I've changed. I'm not a sinner like I used to be. I'm not like one of those tax collectors I used to be, but now I'm a Pharisee, right? There's the thing about middle class. I mean, some of us are middle class because we've earned it and we've achieved it. Some of us, some of us get born into it. We get brought up by middle class parents and we inherit our wealth. Some of us were brought up going to church. And so we've got to come to terms with that. Because we may not feel that sense of desperation 
in the same way either. What happens to our joy? Well, it's not like it used to be. Does that sound familiar? Here's the truth. No matter how much I've changed on the outside, not for one second have I stopped being a beggar. Not for one second have I stopped being a beggar before the king. Now, if that's you, don't despair, but let's try and find a way through this, okay? What do we do in this moment? If that's you this morning, this is where we go. We go to Calvary. We go back to the cross, and we take a long, hard stare at the king of heaven and earth hanging there for his people. Because the cross doesn't just tell me what Jesus did. The cross tells me how much I need him today. Now, my sin package may be different, but I need him no less today. The cross tells me that I need Jesus today every bit as much as I needed him then. The cross shows me my poverty of spirit. And simultaneously, it shows me how very much the king has loved me. And how very much he loves me today. Go again to Calvary. See him there. The cross will tell you that you are nothing and you never have been anything but a beggar. But the cross will also tell you that you are a beggar that the king has made a place for in his kingdom. You have a seat at the king's table because Jesus went to a cross for you. If you are here this morning and you are aware that your, your joy has just slipped away, come back. Come back to the king. Come back to Calvary. You don't, need to, you don't need to do anything in particular. You just need to look. Look at him there for you and your joy will come. Keep looking until your joy comes, but it will come. Right, a couple of applications. Let's wrap this up. Okay. Well, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Right, first, first thing, uh, for those of us entering 23, this is a word of courage for those of us who are entering 2023 with, with trepidation. Okay? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. What does this verse tell us? It tells us that no matter what happens in 2023, the king and his kingdom are yours. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And there is nothing, nothing in heaven or earth, nothing above or below, nothing below the earth, nothing big and scary, nothing that goes on within you, nothing that can separate the king and his kingdom from you. The kingdom has been given to you. I was listening to a podcast this week, uh, listening to uh, two historians discussing how 2022 could be remembered by uh, be remembered in a hundred years' time. And there was something, it was fascinating, actually, because if you look back over the last hundred years, an awful lot has happened. And, and these two historians, eminent guys, they were, they were discussing how um, there is something sort of era-defining and, and seismic about it. It's more than just we've come out of a pandemic, and it's more than just the Queen has died, and therefore there's a neat way of saying, you know, it's the end of, the, of Elizabeth the Great's era. It, it's, there's more to it than that. But they were just sort of, Drawing the, drawing the lines between the dots, and, and, and they were, what were they saying? They were saying, like, it, there's something of the end of an era for the Western world in 2022. 
They were saying that it could well be that this could be the end, 2022 will mark the end of, of Western prosperity as, as we've known it. It could well, it certainly has marked the end of Western peace as we've known it. And maybe you're sat here this morning and, and you've been caught up by this. I mean, it does feel, doesn't it, that the, that, that the floor has moved beneath our feet, that the tectonic plates have, have shifted and it's unnerving. And it might be that you're just a little frightened at the thought of what 2023 has got. I mean, we all finished 2021 just grateful that that was done, right? We had no idea what was coming. And it might be that, that you are nervous. I mean, nobody's skipping, like Pete said to me this week, nobody's skipping into 2023, are they? We're all going a little bit cautiously. And it may be nothing to do with the macro stuff. Maybe you don't read the news. It might be totally the micro stuff, the the stuff that's going on in your personal life, the stuff you're facing. Jenny and I have a friend who's, who's diagnosed with cancer two weeks before Christmas. Suddenly her 2023 is very, very different to the one she was anticipating. And maybe that's what it's like for you too. You, 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 know, you, you had these hopes for 2023, but already they've been dashed. You had these landmarks coming up that, that, have, that are not causing you joy. <laughs> You have decisions to make. You're, you're dealing with disappointments. You're entering in with fears. And you feel like you can't go on because you're, you feel so weak and so poor. Here's the promise. Hold on to this. Blessed are the poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Even if everything else is stripped away, everything, even if everything else wastes away, even if everything else is taken from you, the king can't be. The kingdom of heaven belongs to you, for theirs is the kingdom. The kingdom is yours forever. Secondly, finally, so it's a word of courage for those of us who are facing it with trepidation, but it's also a, a, a word of comfort for those of us who, um, for those of us who will and might will experience spiritual bankruptcy in 2023. Here's why I'm saying this, okay? I, the, if, so, if 2023 is anything like 2022 and 2021 and 2020 and all the years that I've been a pastor and all the years that Pete's been a pastor and all the years that Bob's been a pastor and, and all the years that you've been a Christian, <laughs> it might well be that, that you or somebody around you will this year be emptied out spiritually. It'll come without warning. It'll come suddenly and, it'll, and it won't be just because of the challenges that you face, but there will be a sudden awareness, a sudden realization of your poverty of spirit at a deeper and harder and more painful level than before. Now, this comes about in all sorts of ways, and you know, who am I to pr predict? And we just don't know, right? It comes about through various ways. It could, be, it could be as simple as you hear somebody say something from this platform on a Sunday morning, and suddenly conviction comes, and you just see yourself clearly. That happened to me during the Mark series when Pete was preaching on um, the parable of the sower from Mark chapter 4, and, and suddenly... I saw myself in a way that I'd never seen myself before. I was brokenhearted. At the end of the message, I turned to Ben Greasley. I was sat next to him. I said, Ben, pray with me because, because God has just... I mean, it could happen like that, right? But suddenly you see yourself and your need in a way that you've never done it before. It could come about through a, a conversation with a brave friend who just takes the opportunity 
to bravely help you see something that you need to see. And that brings with it a sense of poverty of spirit. It, it could be circumstances changing, something happening. It, it, could be, it could be that you are just found out. Something you've been just put, brushing under the carpet for years, you, you just get exposed. And all of a sudden, it is like the spirit has just held up a polished mirror in front of you, and you see yourself as you are. Now, here's the word, all right? Don't despair. Don't spend the rest of the year worrying about this happening. But if this happens, okay, back pocket stuff, all right? Number one, don't despair. Cling to this promise. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The kingdom at this moment, at that moment when you feel so impoverished, the kingdom is not being stripped away from you. You are not being booted out of the kingdom. What is happening in that moment is the king is coming to you and he is advancing his kingdom through your life. He is revealing something to you in that moment that you haven't known about before. The king is dealing with you. The king, King Jesus, is coming to you mercifully. Now, he's not coming to condemn you. He's coming to walk with you. And he's coming to change you. And he's coming to mold you. And he's coming to make you more in his image. Don't despair. And don't hide away from this. Don't resist him. Now, there's ways we can do that. When I'm suddenly confronted with who I am, the temptation is so strong to look around my life and find something to boast in. And to say, well, I'm not that bad because, or I want to cling to the last kind word somebody said to me, or I want to, I want to find a reason to feel good about myself. But what am I doing? I'm resisting what Jesus is doing in my life at that point. I'm not standing on his merits anymore. I'm standing on my own. I'm looking for a reason to boast. No, 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 no. When that comes, okay, here's what we do. We confess what Jesus is revealing to us. And as we confess what Jesus is revealing to us, like the tax collector, have mercy on me, a sinner. You are on the pathway to know him in a way like you've never known him before. And you will sense his presence. And you will know the joy of the gospel in a way that you haven't tasted for years and you will walk in step with his spirit. Don't resist him. Have mercy on me, a sinner. Don Carson says, it is the poor in spirit that cry out for mercy. And they alone are heard. If you are prompted to cry out for mercy, God hears. Oh, God hears. The kingdom is ours. And in that moment, the kingdom is advancing. And very soon, okay, and when the kingdom comes, right, so here's, here, here, look at the Beatitudes together. And he opened his mouth and he taught them, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now keep your eyes on that and hear what I'm about to say next, all right? The kingdom is advancing in your heart and lives, and one day the kingdom will come in its fullness. What we're talking about this morning is temporal. One day Jesus will return, and he will bring his kingdom in a way that we have never dreamed of. Now, what is his kingdom going to look like? Are we going to be like lying on clouds and like, you know, no. no. <laughs> his kingdom looks like the Beatitudes, the blessed life. So keep one eye there and, and listen up. What is the kingdom going to look like when our king returns? 
to those of us who are poor in spirit right now, to those, who are, for those of us who are despised and despairing of themselves. Verse 4, one day, every sadness will turn to comfort. Every sadness will turn to comfort. Verse 5, one day, his people who are poor in spirit will rise to inherit the earth with King Jesus. We will walk around this earth like free men and women. You will re be returned home. This is our home and we will live in it like free men and women. We will no longer hunger and thirst for righteousness anymore. Because the deepest longings of our hearts for everything to be made right, that's what it means. The longing of our heart for everything to be made right will one day be made right when our king returns. One day, one day we will know the full extent of his mercy. We won't just have this passing thought of it. We won't just have this, we won't just have this nice thought that comes and goes. We will know the full extent of his mercy and we will see that it really does have no end. One day we will see, according to the Beatitudes, we will see the face of God. And we will see the face of God without fear. And that God, our Heavenly Father, will call us his children and we will believe him. One day, verse 12, he will reward us for every suffering that we have ever known. Every suffering he will reward you for. All because blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Shall we pray together? Okay, let's pray. Father, we thank you for our King Jesus who, who came into this world to suffer for the poor in spirit so that we could be, could be raised up to eternal life and joy and eternal dignity. And one day we're going to know the extent of your mercy. Hallelujah. I, I, I struggle to believe it today. But one day I'm going to be left in no doubt. Lord Jesus, please. Would you draw near to your people today and through this year? Would the good news of our, of our blessedness before you, that the kingdom belongs to us, would that good news be implanted in our hearts? Would we treasure it up in our hearts? And as the year goes on, Father, in our trepidation today, would you give us courage? In our hesitation and our fear of what it is that might come, would you give us comfort? Help us, please, Father, we need you. Thank you that we are blessed in the name of Jesus because the kingdom of heaven belongs to us. In Jesus' name, amen.